Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and I am so excited to bring you today a topic that is highly, highly requested about tinnitus, also about some vestibular things with balance. These are topics that we get lots of questions about as audiologists. A lot of people think it's all about hearing, but our ears do a lot more than that. And so we have a very special guest today, Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au, who is an Australian vestibular audiologist and author of the new book, Rock Study. And I'm so excited to talk to her all about tinnitus and vertigo and neuroplasticity and bringing it all together to make people feel stable and safe and productive and happy and all the good things. So welcome, Joey. Thank you so much. It's just really beautiful to meet another passionate audiologist. I can just hear it just kind of radiating out of you. So it's a delight to be here. Thank you. Exactly. I felt the same way when I stumbled across your videos, specifically about tinnitus. And tinnitus is one of those things that has so many misconceptions. And what causes it? Do we really even know what causes it? And then how do you treat something you don't know the cause of? And then there's the whole scams and all sorts of supplements that are trying to sell you stuff. And then there's all the maskers and do you use noise or do you not use noise? Like it's such a big world and you seem to have a grasp on it and have a lot of success. So yeah. tell me everything. <laughs> That's a good well, it is. question. <laughs> Before we do get started, I want the listeners to be reassured. I cover all of this in my book, my new book. And, and the reason I wrote the book was for everything Lilac is, is saying, right? So like we get these questions, there's a lot of confusion amongst professionals. Therefore, there's mixed messages when people talk to various health professionals, doctors, audiologists, surgeons, neurologists. The thing is, is that everyone's trying to do their best and everyone's trying to be helpful and everyone's um, giving the information they have, but that information's all over the place. So part of my mission in writing my book was like, let's just have one simple, easy to understand conversation that a neurologist will understand and, you know, the mother of a child with tinnitus will understand. It just covers that full spectrum. So tinnitus are sounds that we hear in our inner world and they could be in our body, in our head, in our ears, and nobody else can hear it. Nine in ten people in a soundproof booth will notice the noises going on in their body. Our bodies do generate noise, healthy noise, and you can think of that as like the idle of a car or even, you know, when the fridge is running and there's a little hum or the washing machine in a spin cycle, like this is really healthy, normal mechanical noise that if the washing machine's doing a good job, it will be making the spin cycle noise. If the washing machine is broken, it'll be dead silent. So humans are actually a little bit the same. So it's good to rephrase things and actually generating noise means you have moving anatomical pieces in your body that are genuinely creating a mechanical noise that as audiologists, if we really want to get geeky, we can measure them with our DPOEs. Yeah. I think another way to think about that is that your tummy gurgles when you eat and when you're digesting your food. So sometimes that's louder and you notice it after a big, exciting meal, but most of the time you don't pay attention to your belly noise. Most of the time, the people around us can't hear it either occasionally I actually use that example in my book you know that when it when a joint clicks or pops or we eat a big yummy Italian pasta and there's that loud digestion occasionally our body sound can be heard by the outer world because the sound vibrations are strong enough but when it comes to um the run-of-the-mill regular tinnitus usually it's 
it's psychologically impacting someone. It's invisible to the outer world. Nobody else can hear it. And it's moved beyond the mechanical noise, which is where it can start as a trigger. I don't know um, what your experience is, but often I hear clients will say, it started after I got wax cleaned out of my ears or it started after a common cold. It started after a knock to the head. So really benign incidents that are not harmful or dangerous can trigger this awareness of noises occurring around the ear. And for some reason, instead of it being like a normal pasta meal where the noise just comes and goes once the digestion's finished, right, the noise lingers forever. It's like the memory of the noise is mapped neurologically between the ear and the brain and it keeps looping. Another example of that is if you think about the old vinyls, when you play music on an old record player, it's kind of like it's getting stuck on the one song and it's just repeating and it never completes the song or completes the album. It's just forever jumping and skipping. That's kind of what happens neurologically for chronic, persistent, severe, distressing, bothersome, debilitating tinnitus, right? This is a whole nother conversation. The good news is that vinyl skipping, that that kind of memory of the sound on repeat, that neural pathway that's firing the tinnitus sounds is completely reversible. And this is what I'm helping my clients to navigate is to understand their biology, to understand the physiology of their ear and their brains, to understand neuroplasticity and to understand emotional regulation and the psychology behind why we get distressed, why we hate it, why we associate so much fear with it, how this changes the brain chemistry and our response and relationship to the sound and why that keeps us stuck. And then, of course, we end up talking about what to do about it. (laughs) So the key thing there is separating the, the actual tinnitus from the experience of the tinnitus that those two things are distinct. And lots of times people say, if I have this, that means X, Y, Z. I'm in danger. This is bad for me. This is a a sign of a bad, horrible, terrible thing, which the crazy thing is that sometimes it does mean that. And that's where you're getting the mixed messages. It's like, people want to know, do I have a tumor? Like, that's where it goes, you know? And then on the other hand, no, it's kind of a normal biological thing that happens to our ears all the time. So that's, you know, now the question. But just for clarity, I think it's important to recognize that even if somebody does have a tumor and that tumor is causing a change to their mechanical resting tinnitus, right, the tinnitus is totally harmless. The tinnitus will not hurt them. The tinnitus will not cause hearing loss. The tinnitus will not cause the tumor to grow. The tinnitus is like the idol of the car, right? So the issue there is actually identifying the tumor, talking to a surgeon and seeing if removal is needed, which is not always the case. Mm-hmm. And getting that medical intervention, medical opinion about the tumor, not the tinnitus. So it's really important that the tinnitus is never, ever, ever described as the bad guy. It's mm-hmm. safe, it's harmless, and it is a reflection of what's going on in our inner world physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And when things are imbalanced, the sounds within our inner world change. The tinnitus is not the bad guy, it's kind of like this, if something's on fire, there's smoke. The tinnitus is the smoke. It's not the fire. I see. So healing tinnitus is about going, okay, so there's an imbalance within my inner world, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Let's get the medical clearance. Let's just do that straight up, right? Let's let the doctors tell me there's nothing to worry about. That's the physical investigation. Then we have to say, okay, what's going on mentally, emotionally, spiritually for me? And that's what my rock steady process is really giving people the tools to be the expert in that piece. Okay. 
So someone will will come to you and say, even even someone who's struggling and having that, you know, uh, tinnitus handicap inventory of like, I don't know, 80, the score is the highest that it could be. They can't sleep. They can't communicate with their friends. They're staying home. They're avoiding things. Like, what do you say to a person who's coming to you? Like, what do I do? How do I deal with this? My life is so, you know, I can't focus. I can't do anything that I want to do. Totally. Well, first up, I would say I've been there. I've had it. I get it. Second up, I would say you're normal to feel this way. If nobody has ever sat you down and explained this distressing noise to you, it's absolutely 100% normal that you're distressed and not sleeping because that is the way a normal healthy brain responds to any unexplained threat. In that situation, the tinnitus has been categorized as a dangerous abnormal threat. Somebody has told them it's abnormal. Somebody has told them it's a disease. Somebody has told them it's a condition. Somebody has put the fear in their mind and the natural normal response any human brain, healthy brain will have is anxiety, fear and sleeplessness. So it's just like tick, 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 tick. Everything's coming up normal. So what we need to do then is teach the brain actually it's a misunderstanding. The noise is harmless. The noise is neural pathways in your body between your ear and your brain um, generating the perception of a sound and that sound may actually not be relevant, not be important, not be useful, not be meaningful and not be needed or required. So we have to teach the brain it's not a saber-toothed tiger chasing us. It's not a violent incident. It's not a harmful, abusive person. It's not a really overdue bill. Like we have to take it out of that ca- that category of fight, flight, freeze, stress, right, the sympathetic yeah. stress response. Because when we categorise the tinnitus as an, an awful thing that's ruining my life, we change the brain chemistry response to it. And so all of this education helps people start to go, oh, okay, so my relationship to it is changing the way my brain is treating it correct and the therapies in shifting that relationship which is extremely personal there's no prescription generic you must do this kind of model of healing it's about understanding the mental landscape of of a person's world their worries their doubts their fears um you know the the dialogues going on the voices in someone's head their emotional landscape so how are they self-regulating do they actually have access to joy compassion acceptance kindness or are they a little bit locked in the self-doubt, the fear, the anxiety, the panic, and they don't really know how to get out. So that would be part of therapy. And spiritually, it's are you going to listen to the people who told you you're abnormal and wrong and you can't fix this and there's no cure? Are you going to give your power away to them externally or are you going to come back into your body, learn about it, say, actually, my body is powerful, adaptive, amazing, it's normal to have body sound and I can change I can rewire those neural pathways and reverse the body sound if I've learned how to do it, if I choose to do it, and the spiritual piece, if I believe in myself to heal it. If I don't believe in myself to heal it, nobody else is going to believe in me to heal it either. If I don't stop and listen to my body and what my body's telling me, nobody else on the planet is going to listen to my body and what my body is telling me. It's my job to tune in to that very personal inner world process And my background's in yoga. So my first discipline before audiology is is yoga. And we would call this Svadhyaya, which is a Sanskrit term for self-study. And it's when we we pause and we listen within and we learn from our sensory system delivering us information through the ears, the eyes, the skin, the taste, the tongue, etc. This is how we relate to the world. Yeah, that piece of self-knowledge, I think it goes across 
lots of religions and ideas and beliefs that people have as the one of the most a transcendental thing that you can do is actually be yourself and know who you are and know your body and your experience in the world, connecting to your senses. Um, I think that one of the things you just mentioned was this um, idea of trusting yourself and knowing that although there are experts who are well-versed and trained and did all the years of study of what's available to know, you are still the expert of yourself and your experience. No one else knows how you're dealing with your life more than yourself. So I think that the way you described it, giving away your power is, is so spot on of the difference of people who come in and say, help me understand something because you're an expert in the topic, but also believing that they themselves have the power to do the change. And I, I talked about this on, yes, please. I just want to like, I feel like this is really tender area too, because people love an expert. It's like, tell me what to do, Joey. Yeah. Tell me how to heal. You know, I want to, I want to learn from you, Joey. And that in a sense, they're giving me that expert power. And so I have, I'm really conscious of saying, well, actually, I suppose I'm expert in the process of healing. I really get neuroplasticity. I have a huge amount of training and knowledge in this. And that's, that's, that's knowledge I can support you with. However, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know what you're feeling and hearing in your body in this present moment. I don't know what neural synapses are firing in this present moment in your body. And I also don't know what you want and desire to feel, sense and hear in your body, which means I don't know which new neural synapses and connections you want to create. Only you know that stuff, right? So you're the expert in you and your body and your inner world. I'm, I have kind of become an expert in a process, a neuroplasticity education healing process. And then when we talk about other experts, and I'd love to hear your experience of the audiology doctorate is you know when when I was at University of Melbourne which is an extraordinary university it's really one of the world best for audiology they barely touched upon tinnitus we were told we were sort of told about it briefly and told you know some people just have to live with it they just have to learn to accept it and it can be hard they can be suicidal and that was kind of the extent of it like we didn't really get oh of course we got told about masking devices and hearing aid device programs, which I can talk about, but it was just super limited. We didn't really go into any of the mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of what it means to live in a body making sounds and sensations that we don't want. Unwanted body sounds and sensations can completely destroy a person's body image, self-esteem, self-belief, and can really lead to an anxious, depressed, isolated, panicked way of life. It's, It's tragic and for the listeners out there, I want you to know it's preventable and it's reversible. That's a nice message of hope because many people really don't ever hear that anywhere. That tinnitus yeah. is a thing that usually comes, if you have hearing loss, you'll likely have tinnitus. No. And if you had a, a, any kind of traumatic um, PTSD inducing event, it would also come with tinnitus. Like, you know, we say it's the the First and second thing that's the most common for the veterans in the VA system is hearing loss and tinnitus. And it's just, you know, 80% of veterans are going to have it. Just like, that's that's it. That's the case. That's what we do. Honestly, it's all reversible. And I think what, again, going back to this kind of expert model, which in my opinion doesn't work, 
is, you know, the ear, nose and throat surgeon is exceptional at understanding the ear anatomy and surgical options. And if I need that information, I'm going straight to an ENT to ask those specific questions. I'm not going to ask an ENT surgeon how to get rid of my tinnitus. They have no idea. It's not their training. It's not their specialty. Yeah. They will be able to tell me if my ear anatomy is healthy or not and what to do about it, which I value, right? So it's about asking the right expert the right questions and not giving your power away to them entirely. I think Same 2020 is the year to talk about <laughs> who is an expert in what field and what not. Like all of a sudden everyone knows about infections, infectious diseases and that's everyone is an expert now. Um, yeah. No, you just like said. you actually have epidemiologists who that's their study, you know. <laughs> And so same, same with um, neurologists. Neurologists are fabulous at understanding the brain. Are there any anomalies or physical disruptions or, you know, unusual occurrences going on in a brain? They will tell you. They will do all the right imaging with all the right contrasts and they will be able to explain your brain to you in a way that nobody else can because that's their expertise. Can they tell you how to get rid of your symptoms? No, it's not their training. They have no idea how neuroplasticity works. They have zero training in it. They are expert in diagnosis and investigation of abnormalities of neural pathways in the brain. And even if you have permanent damage to your hearing or to your inner ear pathways, you can still use the surviving functional residual neural pathways to recreate a new sense of normal. Does it mean you'll go back to the way you were? No. And I have a whole chapter on that in my book. We can't turn back the clock. We can't be the person we were, but we don't need to. And I want to give you hope here because a lot of my clients come to me. I mean, I'm the last person they see, right? So they're, they're in a pretty dark place. Yeah. And a lot of the clients I see, you know, they they don't want to give up, but they feel like they've tried everything, every doctor, every device, every home exercise and diet. And... um. They'll come to me and they'll be like, Joey, I'm going to give this neuroplasticity a go. It kind of makes sense. I think it's logical. I get it. And I want you to support me. So they'll go through the rock steady process, which can take them anywhere from, let's say, seven weeks to two years to go through. So it's self-paced. Some people do it quickly. Some people do it slowly. By the end of that rock steady process, which is six modules of daily learning, daily home practice, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual exploration of what do I need in this moment? How can I support myself in this moment? It's not generic. They actually choose what they need in the moment based on what they sense and feel in their inner world. By the end of it, they come out being kinder to themselves, being more of a friend to themselves, feeling more stable, tall, strong, having more body tone from the the balance exercises, having more emotional regulation and emotional stability, having more belief in themselves, having less worries, less doubt, and, and having tools to move through fears, but also, which I think is equally important and way too often overlooked, is they finally have the capacity to give themselves permission to experience joy and to figure out where joy lies in their life because they will have lost contact with it. And things that used to make them feel joy don't work anymore. So they have to reinvent their entire relationship to pleasure. And that is a huge part of changing the brain chemistry. Can I tell you how to feel joy and pleasure? Not at all, because I don't know you. It's yeah. such a personal experience, which is the experiential piece in neuroplasticity. Okay, I hope the listeners heard everything you just said, because that gives me chills. When the person comes and says, I hear sounds that are debilitating, and your outcome is, well, actually, this will transform your whole relationship to yourself, your inner world, and your uh, the, way you, the way you talk to yourself, the way yeah. that you experience your humanity, um, they might say, "Uh, lady, I just don't want to hear these sounds. (laughs) 
that's often where we start, you know. Yeah, and no. I, I mean, I'm this. I'm only human. I started off just wanting to get rid of my body sounds and get rid of my vertigo. I didn't want yeah. to feel this, and I would have wanted anyone to fix me. Just fix me. Just get rid of it. I don't want it, right? Yeah. And then after enough depletion and exhaustion and dead ending and goose chasing, I began to realize actually I'm I'm going to have to figure this out. And I was really really blessed because I had. At this point in my life, I had over 10 years yoga practice, which means I had firsthand experience to the neuroplasticity changes that people can go through. And I'd seen it in myself to a certain degree. I'd seen it in students and colleagues in the yoga world. So I kind of understood that if you repeat things daily, your body responds with new patterns. Yeah. I had a psychology degree. I had training in cognitive behavior therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, neuroscience, and I had a master's in clinical vestibular audiology. I had the most eclectic background of studies which was all by accident I didn't want to become this kind of neuroplasticity expert it just happened by accident and so then I realized you know what I think there is a way to heal I have no idea what it is I have no idea what it looks like but I'm going to start exploring through trial and error it took me four years to figure it out for myself and now my clients are getting results much much quicker than I did yeah because they have the guide but you know someone being the guide is not the same as them being in charge of your healing there. Like even the word healer to me seems like a, a complicated word because yeah, you, you I, are, your, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I consider myself an educator and I think the education piece is missing amongst our peers, right? Amongst our, our yeah. audiology colleagues, amongst our medical colleagues, amongst our naturopathic and, you know, I mean, we could talk forever about diets and devices and we can shift the conversation there if you like. And I can give you my theory using the philosophy of neuroplasticity as to why a lot of that doesn't work and why it could work for some people, um, but why it's just another dead end. And I think people are just stabbing in the dark. What's the, you know, that term there? Yeah. They're just having a go at anything. It's blind faith. And they're just like, I'm just going to try this low salt diet because I'll, I'll go off coffee, I'll go off chocolate because it might work. Like it's, there's no logic behind it. It's almost like an anxious panic response. Mm. And same with hearing aids and, expensive devices and tinnitus programs or you know you name it it's out there okay so let's talk about the maskers and the whole idea of distracting away from the sounds or using a fan so that there's other sounds in the room um you know is that just going down a different path where you're kind of putting on a band-aid and then it's going to come back when you take out the sound so did you actually train anything there I cover this kind of in my book. I don't think I cover the exact tinnitus analogy, but funnily enough, tinnitus sounds and chronic persistent dizziness feelings like spinning or feeling nauseous or drunken, kind of hungover, however you want to describe it. Some people live like that and it's it's the same kind of dilemma as tinnitus except one expresses itself in sound and one expresses itself in a dizziness feeling. Healing pathway is the same. So I explain this dilemma in the book, I think, with the example of dizziness, which is it doesn't actually matter what you choose to do. It's fine if you want to, let's say, put on some classical music to distract the tinnitus. And let's say you love classical music. You put that music on and you enter, your heart opens, your brain melts, and you just lose yourself in the music. You are releasing some extraordinary brain chemistry right there because it's all connected to love and awe and beauty and presence And you do mask out the tinnitus because you're doing something you really love, right? That could have long-lasting effects that help bring the tinnitus into a joyful situation where you're not actually getting rid of the tinnitus, 
and you're not avoiding the tinnitus, you're not distracting the tinnitus, you're actually listening to music you love. That is completely different to masking, mm-hmm. right? But if we contrast that to, all right, I've got to get my hearing aids in, I've got to put on my tinnitus program, I'm going to put on the white noise, I'm going to distract it, I'm going to try and get a noise that I don't particularly like hearing to hearing, but it's just better than that goddamn tinnitus or whatever. Excuse me if that's blasphemous. But, you know, if we're trying, if there's a fear hatred relationship to the tinnitus and our relationship is firing brain chemicals that release the fight flight freeze sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system um neural activity we can't use the neuroplasticity capacity to reverse those tinnitus pathways and actually change it with long-lasting effects the masking machine is coming in and reminding the brain this tinnitus is a bad guy I've spent so much money on this tinnitus device because tinnitus is a really bad thing. So the brain is reinforcing that the tinnitus is bad, abnormal, and it needs to put a lot of energy and effort into figuring it out and getting rid of it. So to do that, it will fire more tinnitus neural pathways to help you figure it out. So by using the masker based on fear and distraction and avoidance, we're teaching the brain it's important, right? And contrast that to, I don't really care about the tinnitus, but I love this classical music. It's actually got nothing to do with the tinnitus. The brain doesn't register the tinnitus. It just goes, zoom, let's zoom in on this music. It's amazing. Yeah. It weakens the tinnitus pathways because they're not emphasized as a threat or important or abnormal. We're just purely focused in on the music. Yeah. By default, and I do explain this in my book, by default, the neural emphasis and the neural allocation of resources is taken away from tinnitus and it's diverted to those auditory music, listening and appreciation and emotional areas for taking in the classical music. So we're hijacking the tinnitus pathways by doing something. We're shifting the relationship to love and joy and pleasure instead of fear and hate and avoidance and distraction. They're completely different brain chemistry, um, neural activities. Yeah. Right? Yes. And I feel a big sense of synchronicity around different topics that are in my life. So around parenting, when, mm-hmm. you know, when you're taught, we talk a lot about that on the show, we have a lot of parents listening and yeah. it's so much of how you do positive reinforcement to like, just move away from a behavior <laughs> that you don't want the child to exhibit, but the punishment, if that only exacerbates it, cause now you're giving so much attention to the thing they shouldn't have done oh instead of just distracting yes. them away to something else that they love to do. And we just kind of m- go with the flow. Like so much of everything you just said could have applied to my well, child is doing inappropriate things. What do I do with them? You well, know, this is what my, my clients are saying. They're like, Joey, this has not only helped me overcome these yeah. debilitating symptoms, which doctors said I couldn't heal. They're like, so I've completely blown my mind in what I was capable of doing. Um, and psychologists and audiologists and physiotherapists, if the traditional medical treatments haven't worked in the first six weeks, let's say to six months, chances are you'll be told there's nothing more we can do, go live with it, right? And that's nobody's fault. That's just where the system is at. And then so they'll try this neuroplasticity education process. They'll blow themselves away with how powerful their capacity to adapt is and to learn how to manipulate that system and actually use it. And um <clears throat> And, and, yeah, they're like, it impacts my whole life. It's changed my relationship to my husband. It's changed the way I parent. It's changed. Some people actually change their career. They're like, my career was throwing me out of balance. I've quit my job. I'm, I'm going to take a different track. It's not working for me. It's not working for my health. So it can be really dramatic. But coming back to the devices and diets, I just want to reinforce 
it can go in either way. If somebody hates classical music, right, and they're like, oh, Joby said classical music can help. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're listening to classical music and you hate it and it's riling you, that's still releasing the hatred brain chemical pathways. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to classical music for the purpose of distracting tinnitus because you hate that, it's just another masking device that's, you know, with a new mask on, with a new face. Whereas if somebody gets their their hearing aid and gets their amazing tinnitus channels and masking device channels in their hearing aid and they are like, I'm freaking superhuman. This makes me better than I was. This device is like next level hybrid human. I'm bionic. I'm obsessed with this. I love it. I can send YouTube have, videos directly to my devices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like if, if they love their device because it just totally gels with their philosophy on life, with their personality, maybe it's a childhood dream come true, chances are they will have great success with all of the tinnitus programs and things because it's coming from this place of awe and love and excitement and like I'm bionic and it's not like I've got a disability, I'm getting rid of the tinnitus. It's like, hell yeah, give me that device. I want it. That's fun. I'm going to tell all my friends. I'm going to exactly, I'm going to use my Bluetooth. I'm going to attach it to all my devices. I am a winning. So it's about the relationship we have not only to the noise in our body or the dizziness in our body, but also to the strategies we implement. We want them to be evoking pleasure, excitement, enthusiasm. They want us to awaken the neuroplasticity pathways, which can only happen if we're relaxed. So I'm going to use an example of playing the piano. Neuroplasticity is your brain and body's capacity to change its neural wiring. And our neural wiring is head to toe. It's through our brain and our spinal column. It's everywhere. And the neural pathways help us to do anything that makes us not a rock, basically. So breathing, talking, listening, moving, all of it, you know, feeling. And by changing our neural pathways, we change how we sense and feel the world. And often we feel stuck, like, oh, I'm victim to this. I don't like this and I'm stuck because nobody else can get rid of it. The truth is nobody else can get rid of it, but you can change the way your neural pathways are arranged. You can change the mapping of your own inner neural system if you learn how, which is the neuroplasticity education piece. So that's how the brain and body, this neuroplasticity word is about our capacity to change and adapt. We can all do it and children are experts at it, right? Adults forget they can do it, need to relearn. So if we come back to an example of neuroplasticity that's visual, let's say playing the piano, and if we have like a gun to our head or like we're getting bullied or there's a major stressful incident and you're at the piano trying to learn, it's really difficult because we blank out, we freeze. We, you know, It's really difficult to learn under that level of stress and pressure and hatred. If we hate the piano and we hate sitting at the piano and we hate the feel of the keys under our fingers, these are, these are barriers to learning because we don't want to be there, we don't like being there and there's just resistance every step of the way. And if you contrast that to... Um, just enjoying the piano, learning from a teacher that you absolutely love, learning music that you love. You know, maybe you lie in bed and you dream about the piano and you visualise your fingers moving before you go to sleep at night. And the relationship is one of excitement and enthusiasm. That person is going to learn a lot more quickly, probably practice more, feel better while they're doing it. And their brain's capacity to automate those piano pathways will be much faster and stronger than the person who's learning under absolute resistance, duress, stress and fear, right? Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same with our tinnitus and dizziness. It's important we don't come a, come from a place of fear and resistance. 
Now, what does fear and resistance look like, you might ask? Am I in fear and resistance? Well, some examples of that would be, I hate my tinnitus, get rid of it. I don't want to hear this. It's ruining my life. Because of my tinnitus, I can't do X, Y, and Z. These are all examples of someone living in fear and resistance. Someone who's not living in fear and resistance and has relaxed into it might say, you know, my sounds come and go. It's no big deal. You know, if I do hear my body sounds come and go from time to time, I take that as a little gentle reminder that I'm out of balance somewhere, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. I use that as a little kind of reminder, a little alarm clock to take some time alone and figure out what's what's out of balance. Because if I'm not listening to my body, no one's listening to my body. So I'm going to relax into this and learn from it. So that's the adaptive approach. Do you think that this whole process and the process outlined in your book can also apply to other chronic conditions like lower back pain is a big one that people associate with tension and stress um, and, you know, lots of other things that go on in our bodies. It all applies. Would you agree? Yeah. And, and you know what, this is blowing my mind because that was not my intention, right? So I I've personally had vertigo and tinnitus. I've worked with the elite, best, top-of-the-line neurologists, ear, nose, and throat surgeons, psychiatrists, psychologists, physiotherapists, audiologists, you name it, and I saw these clients falling through the cracks and not getting resolution, certainly not getting healing, and feeling helpless, hopeless, powerless, stuck. It was awful. So that's my background was I was really motivated to help those people who were being failed by the system. And because of my background in neuroplasticity, neuroscience and yoga, I was like, I think I can offer an alternative. I can offer another management pathway for people who need it. I'm not saying I have the ultimate cure. I just knew I had skills that could, you know, contribute to the profession. Mm -hmm. So I came from this very kind of pure background. And then I built Rocksteady and, you know, I've We've had amazing success. Our research statistics are through the roof. People are just getting the most incredible outcomes. And a lot of my clients are like, this healed my pain. You know, I used to have arthritis and chronic pain and I used to have depression and anxiety and, you know, it's lifted. And so this is where it's like their whole lives are being affected because they're treating themselves as a whole person, not as an ear. Yeah. Not not as a damaged problem, not as tinnitus, not as dizziness. They're suddenly looking towards the bigger picture of who am I as a person? What are my values? What brings me joy and pleasure? And how can I explore this in real time? And how can I grow into a new version of me instead of trying to be the person I was, right? Yes. So I'm speechless. (laughs) So basically it surprised me that, you know, I was coming from such a pure, um, innocent kind of, starting point but because of course of my yoga background I I was naturally looking at the whole person so sometimes in my therapy sessions you know we'd be talking about sexuality and all these areas of life where the client would go I just didn't think we'd be talking about this in an audiology session and I'm like well this is all part of who you are as a person and this is going to impact how your ears are interpreted by your brain and so we need to look at all of you to give you the best chance of healing and so it kind of made a lot of sense to me from the beginning, but now that I've, I've um, you know, seen more people and the process people go through now is largely self-study, so they don't see me at all. There's no email contact with me at all. It's literally self-study. And what that means is they own being their own expert. Um, and That's I love so that. Powerful. Mm-hmm. I, I know. And, like, in the beginning I was like, well, 
online resources even work? Like I was a bit skeptical, but you know, you have to give it a go. You don't know unless you trial your hypothesis. And sure enough, people love being able to log in at 3 a.m. They love having access to the full plethora of tools 24-7. They are getting so much more support than they would having a session with me once a week or once a month. And they've got all all the resources there for them to explore over and over again in case they forget things or in case they don't hear it quite right the first time. And is all of that in the workbook as well? Or this is an additional separate program? Yeah, good question. So basically, um, my core program that I first built is called Rocksteady. And that's a six-module online program that you own for life. And it has hundreds of hours of support. It's got videos, audios, worksheets. That's the online program, the Rocksteady online program. And I have a really vibrant Rocksteady Facebook group, which is actually free to the public. So the the program people pay for, but if they want to just join the conversation, that's free to the public, the Rocksteady Facebook group. Out of that program came the Rocksteady book, right? People are like, Joey, you've got to write a book. Like, you know, they're like, you're really onto something here. You say things differently to other people, you ought to write a book. So it took me quite a while to write the book. So the program came first. Through the program, I think I refined my voice. I refined my message. I was able to collect really great research statistics and data to back my message because people often say, well, just because it works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for others. So we tracked in an 18-month period, we tracked about 140 people and the statistical outcomes were highly significant. It was just amazing. So anyway, the book came second, and the book is a summary of kind of what's the dilemma we're in as a global community? Why can't the doctors fix us even though they're trying and they're good people and they want to fix us? Why can't they? So it starts there. Then it moves into what's neuroplasticity and how does it work? Why is no one teaching it to me? Then, well, how can I start implementing it? And the book has little chapter summaries at the end of each chapter and a couple of home exercise suggestion ideas. Mm-hmm. but it, they're tiny little snippets. Um, so the book is really an educational piece. It's great to hand out to your entire community. And also for people who are, who are doing the online Rocksteady program, I think the book will be a nice little summary because the okay. program's dense, like it's so full um, and they're quite different. So the book and the program are quite different. And I've, t- in order to test out my book and get a few guinea pigs to read it, I had my clients couple of private clients well actually about 10 private clients who were doing the online program self-study and they're taking their time to do that mm-hmm. and I gave them the book manuscript to read and all of them said the book was an amazing resource to support the program so they're quite different I see um, okay I want to ask you a question about parents who are listening to this and have a child who talks about the sounds or the tinnitus that they hear and complains and wants to avoid loud parties and doesn't want to go to school and all the things that now as a parent, you want to help them or in the balance as well, children who who are going through um, unsteadiness, dizziness, as you call it. How can parents support their kids? Well, first of all, validate what they're feeling and hearing. Have a smile on your face and be, this is really curious. Let's get to know this. I've, I've heard sounds in my body before too. And the reality is most humans have heard sounds in their body. We just don't make a big deal of it unless it's associated with an incident that inspires fear, right? Mm-hmm. So the kid might have noticed the sound while they were getting bullied or while they got a knock to the head because someone threw a ball at them or, you know, so it's it's really the context, that emotional relationship. So what we want to do is to invite 
a conversation of curiosity. Say, well, let's get to know your body. How exciting the body does indeed make sound. It's nothing for you to be afraid of. Um, if they're really little, you know, you can start saying things like this means you're highly sensitive. You've got supersonic hearing, like you're quite special. You might not want to tell people this because like this is like a superpower. So you could, you want to kind of give it a light that allows the child to own it and hear it and feel good about it. So um, I would just say parents know their children best. So find a language and a conversation that's upbeat, uplifting, mm-hmm. really mitigating all the fear stuff remove all abnormal style language um okay but let's say it really is you know their kid is banging into walls they can't walk in a straight line and they're really the parent themselves is also concerned so that would be dizziness yeah so so for tinnitus it would be have the normalization conversation Mm -hmm. and validate them for dizziness it's actually very very rare the vestibular system is so adaptable and it compensates so quickly that I have seen a couple of adolescents with ongoing triple PD, so persistent perceptual dizziness, um, and it's always it's all, it's almost always related to anxiety. There mm-hmm. are a couple of cases that are mechanical, like the wide aqueduct vestibular condition, which will need a CT scan and an ear, nose, and throat surgeon to look at because that's where one ear is actually going in and out of function and that could mean your child is like walking into doorways and you have to get medical clearance okay basically if your kid is walking into doorways consistently and their balance doesn't look quite right definitely get medical clearance because that is unusual kids have great balance and even if they lose balance from an infection or some random event or they're not born with a fully developed ear on one side they can ride bicycles run you know they can do everything there's so much redundancy in the system and they will quickly compensate and use their own neuroplasticity to heal. The thing that holds back the neuroplasticity is generally anxiety. And so what we want to do is as a parent to really have strategies for that emotional regulation, for normalising feeling not quite right, having ways to talk through fears and around the adolescent stage, as you know, most of us listeners can probably remember, there's that inherent self-doubt and questioning and what am I capable of and where do I fit in and if you throw some unwanted body sensations on top of that it is pretty awful for adolescents because they're already doubting themselves anyway when they're like working 100% normally fine (laughs) so yeah getting role models getting counseling getting great um you know peer support all of those things the whole person package are going to be useful I'd probably say the big no-no like if we if we if we reverse the question and say what don't do, sure, it's what it's what I see most parents doing when they come to see me. It's like don't make a big deal of this, don't talk about it all the time, don't ask them how their dizziness is going, don't ask them how their tinnitus is going. Like ask them how they're going as a whole person. Don't single out the symptoms because when you focus on symptoms, the brain allocates more neural power there and more neural activity there, and you get more symptoms. So delete all symptom language, look at the whole person, find ways to enhance their self-belief and their pleasure and their joy and just have the patient, slow, motherly conversations or fatherly conversations that need to happen. And, you know, sometimes life is a bit rough, so just be beside them through those rough, difficult, down-and-out feelings without overemphasizing the symptoms. The symptoms can actually be a result of feeling down and out instead of the symptoms causing the down and out. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And then maybe go and develop a hobby and put them in a class like dance or art or music. 
And sometimes investing in those things, like they can be very expensive. But I've seen that when when parents are on like a, a medical like hunt, they're in that mode. They're going from doctor to doctor and paying for very expensive evaluations and like pathologizing every encounter that they have. Like now you're missing school because we have a specialist and like they're in that zone. Wouldn't it be incredible if all of that resources of time and money and parental attention went towards, let's take a day off and go for a hike. Let's like take it out of school and go to your favorite ice cream store and pick all your favorite toppings. Like, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think pathologizing is a good word to remember. And also be careful not as a parent. It's important for me to not project my anxiety onto my son. Yep. Right? (laughs) So if I don't understand tinnitus and vertigo and dizziness and the the power of the body to heal, so I'm anxious about it, I can actually project that anxiety onto my son and freak him out, but it's actually my fear, not his. I have to be really careful about my emotional boundaries. I need to get the education so I can chill out. That's not his job. That's my job as a parent to not freak out about him, right? So do the work yourself. And that could even mean get the Rocksteady program, learn about it yourself so you get it, so that then emotionally you'll have the tools to not be projecting fear. And the other piece is is your kid might not know what hobbies are. They, they might be like, I don't really want to go hiking. I don't want to go to scouts I don't want to play violin I don't I don't 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 da, 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 da. give them space and say things like just take as long as you need right or you can have a sad day today like give them space rather than push them and hurry them up um obviously you don't want to give them forever you don't want them to be like 35 and still sad <laughs> and you're doing their washing and cooking for them but give them some transitional space to actually feel their emotions and be in a little bit of a low point and make sure you're not worried about them. Just smile, move around the house, do your gardening, talk them through how you're accessing your pleasure and how you're feeding yourself and how you're bringing balance back to your life. And that's what a lot of my Rock City clients have said is they now have tools to actually role model this stuff for their teenage kids mm-hmm. because they know how to be in their body and regulate their inner world. They can actually directly transfer those skills instead of their anxiety onto their children. So really, I think it's about role modeling. And um, I'll, I'll be quiet after this, but sometimes I think children are copying us. So if I'm freaking out about my body and I'm like, oh, I'm fat or, oh, I hate my skin or, oh, I hate my wrinkles. If I'm saying that kind of stuff in front of my kids, the chances are they will pick something in their body and say how they hate that because they're copying mum. Yeah. So really notice your own language and how you talk about your body because chances are your children are kind of copying in their own way. (laughs) I have to just give you the most adorable example for my children. Our listeners know I always bring in my little cutie cutie anecdotes from my, I have three daughters that are six, four, and two. And uh, recently I got some acne on my chin that has been like ongoing. It comes and goes. It makes all these different colors on mommy's face. And like my daughter is like, Ima, you have polka dots. And it's just like we I've just because I have totally come into a different understanding of like my skin is cleansing itself. It's deleting the things that don't need to be here. Like I had a big internal, you know, body image situation about how I'm going to view acne and makeup and all that. And then hearing her say that to me, I was like, oh, I think I I think the change I made got exuded somehow 
that there's not even the word pimple or like ouchie or boo-boo, like any of those other words that maybe had been in my mind about acne in the past. Now it's just like mommy's polka dots is adorable. So yeah. um, <laughs> And then, um, like, like I used to knock on Instagram stories, like, oh, if I had a, uh, uh, whatever, oh, and I, was like, this is, I have something to say, forget it. There's dots on my yeah. face and anybody will deal with it if they care. I don't moving on anyway. 100%, so yes. 100%. I actually went through a phase when I first started my YouTube channel. I like, I wouldn't go on unless I'd at least done a little bit of makeup, but I don't wear makeup. And then it got to a point where it's like, it's just me. I just need to be me. And so yeah. I made a decision to like you said, just get my conversation out there, get my content out there because that kind of body image barrier of like, well, the world tells me I should be this way. So therefore I'm not even going to get started because I don't really know how to use makeup. Did you have any final questions for your listeners that I haven't um, touched upon yet? Okay. So one more question for you would be for our other major group of listeners who are students, students of audiology, communication disorders, um, speech language pathologists, teachers of the deaf. That's kind of who's in our community. And I'd love to hear, you know, because you had all this different kinds of uh, experience as a student in so many different fields, what advice yeah. do you have for our students listening? Oh, look, I mean, I think if you're interested in this stuff, to start with, read my book. Like my, I've just simplified this for you enormously. Um, I think start by learning about the power of the body to change. And my only other kind of like perhaps little suggestion or encouragement would be really question whether or not you need to say things to your clients such as, you know, live with it, accept it. Um, there's nothing more we could like really censor yourself because that can really affect somebody's self-esteem and body image and relationship to their body if an expert, a perceived expert is telling them there's nothing more I can do. I would love the new response from audiologists and psychologists and doctors to be, from my point of view, I've covered all bases and I feel really confident about your ears and your brain. I know how powerful the ears and the brain are and I want to encourage you to learn about neuroplasticity and learn about how you can change your sensory mapping because that's not the piece I'm trained in and that's not what I can offer you, but I just want to encourage you to explore that because you can have hope and a lot of people do heal. And so give them a pathway moving forwards instead of shutting down that exploration. So I, I mean, maybe you could add to that a little. Um, I think that's incredible. And so much of what goes on in the all about audiology community is that it actually isn't all about audiology. <laughs> it's about people <laughs> and it's about connection and it's about bonding with your child or, or being the kind of yeah. therapist or audiologist who sees your patients as a whole human. So it yeah. is all about audiology topics, but the whole message is that we can't just look at people for their audiogram or for their test results because that is obviously not who we are. And we yeah. have to look at the other things. This is like, you know, when I heard about all the things you're doing, I felt so connected to bringing yeah. that holistic piece but it's evidence-based because that's now, now we have the evidence to say, here's how the brain works and all the spiritual practices of generations past, um, they work. Now we can prove it, quote unquote, prove it. But, you know, if we can do that integration in the world and in ourselves, that is healing. Yeah. And, and by spiritual practice, I think 
um, it's about just believing in, in ourselves and believing in the power within the human body because we really are incredibly powerful organisms and miracles of biology. And I think kind of through capitalism and through patriarchal systems, we're told to listen to our parents, listen to authorities, do what your teacher says, do what the doctor says, and it's all this external authority, yeah. external power, and that's the brainwashing every single one of us has been fed for generations. Yeah. So it's nobody's fault. This is this is old, old culture. And so where the spiritual piece is coming in from the ancients, and it, this is really non-religion, it's, it's cross-cultural, it's universal, sure. it's about mm-hmm. saying my body is powerful, it's up to me to learn how to harness that power. I need to learn to believe that I have billions of neurons. Not all of them are being used. Some of them might be damaged, but I've got billions of neurons and I can kind of program how they're mapped if I choose to learn how, or I can stay on the couch all day crying and waiting for somebody else to fix me. Like we have choices. And And to learn from the earth about compensation and about nature and cycles and change is the game. Like if you're not changing, you're dead. (laughs) Like you said, you're a rock. That's it. I always think of a meandering river. That's like just an image that is like somewhere in my my psyche that I think of all the time that it has to meander. It can't just go straight. Otherwise it would go so fast. We have to yeah. take them. We have to go around. And like yeah. every time you erode the earth a little more as you turn there. So yeah. there you go. And you my, my closing words would be feeling is healing. And oh, if we choose it. to feel, yes, we choose to feel all of it. We're not just cherry picking the joy and pleasure moments. If we choose to feel, which means we're not numbing it, we're not medicating it, we're not distracting it or avoiding it or denying it. If we choose to feel, it means we're letting the sensory input come in, whether it's anxious, whether it's grieving, whether it's happy, whether it's cheerful, whether it's relaxed, whether it's totally freaking out. We're letting that sensory input in and we're actually feeling it so the brain filters can use it. Feeling is healing because it means we feel the grief and we actually have something to do with it. The brain automatically processes emotions. It's it's not an academic process. It's a feeling process. It's experiential and so, you know, my book really normalizes feeling and feeling all of it, feeling human, not just feeling happy like we're a magazine cover star, feeling all emotions. And so choosing to use neuroplasticity takes courage and, you know, we need to be brave because we're actually letting in all those feelings we've blocked out for the previous parts of our life and we haven't known what to do with those feelings and now we're learning to feel them again Um and as audiologists and sometimes psychologists and doctors and physiotherapists, if we haven't done that work ourselves, if we haven't actually stopped and done some of that inner work and the yeah. feeling work, how on earth can we help our clients? If we don't understand what that means ourselves, and this is where cognitive behavior therapy and acceptance commitment therapy can be incredibly ineffective and completely fail if the practitioner has not actually embodied the feeling themselves, right? Absolutely. I could go on and on. <laughs> okay, so if you want to learn more, then head to seekingbalance.com.au and slash the book to check out the book, Rocksteady. It's on Amazon, Book Depository, et cetera, et cetera. I am so excited and honored. Thank you for this conversation. And um, Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. Um, if yeah. people want to reach out to you, I'm sure you have all your contact links and things, but I'm just going to tell you guys, get the book. There you go. yeah thank you so much this has been a real pleasure you're a beautiful audiologist thank you for flying the flag so gracefully
<laughs> Thank you all. I'm Dr. Lila Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology podcast.